Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. You'll see the book of Genesis, that's called the book of beginnings. And then you have Exodus, man, that is the book where God is leading his people out. It's where we get our word exit. Man, the back on the doors, over on the sides, you have uh, green signs that are lit that say exit. So this is where we get the same word. It's, it's a, original context being in, rooted in the exodus, where God is bringing his people out of Egypt, where they had been slaves now for over 400 years. Then their cry had come up before the Lord, and God chose Moses as his ambassador to be the mouthpiece to Pharaoh. And remember what Pharaoh's question was? Well, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Remember that? Well, well who, is, who is God to tell me, Pharaoh, what to do? And man, didn't Pharaoh learn that lesson, right? Man, how God mightily, over and over showed Pharaoh who he was. And not because God took pleasure in delivering the plagues upon Egypt. Now, God did not delight in delivering the plagues upon Egypt. Sometimes when we think of the story of Exodus, that's the first thing we think of. Man, but God used those, those plagues, those signs, those wonders, those judgments as a way to show Pharaoh that Pharaoh was not the king of the universe. Now, Pharaoh couldn't even rule his own kingdom. If God was the king of the universe, and as powerful as Pharaoh was, even Pharaoh, man, the leader of the largest nation in the world at that time, man, the strongest army in the world at that time, man, even Pharaoh should bow himself to the God of the universe. And you remember what happens, don't you? And Pharaoh doesn't do that. Now, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Now, let my people go. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Let my people go. And then along come, man, the, the flies, the gnats, the lice, the frogs, right? And the little green slimy frogs were hopping here and hopping there, coming out of the, the, the crock pot, right? Um, coming out of the stove. When you open up the refrigerator, there they were. Okay, probably not the crock pot, stove, and refrigerator, but this, the point was the same, right? Frogs were everywhere. Lice was everywhere. Darkness was everywhere. And Pharaoh refused to listen, man, to the voice of God through his servant Moses. And then God sent that death angel. Now, why? Because the wages of sin is death, that's why. Man, because when we reject a holy, loving, righteous, patient God, and this is the only thing left, so God sends the death angel to visit there in, in, in Egypt, but also in the houses of the Israelites. But even in sending the death angel, do you remember what happened? Even in sending the death angel, God provided a way of escape. That who, whoever would obey, whoever would yield to the voice of the Lord and take that, that lamb, that spotless, precious lamb, man, take its blood, apply it to the post of the house, man, that, that house, the death angel would pass over. And it didn't matter if you were an Egyptian or if you were an Israelite, if you obeyed God, man, the death angel would pass over. But if you did not obey God, man, the oldest, the oldest born in each family 
was taken. Man, and that night a great sorrow went up to the ears of the Lord out of Egypt. And man, Pharaoh decided at that point, at his brokenness, at the bottom, Pharaoh decided in that point to let the children of Israel go. The children of Israel do leave, and they go out. And do you remember what the Bible says? That when they went out, man, the Israel or the Egyptians gave to the Israelites all the spoils. Man, they gave to them jewels and necklaces and treasures. They were emptying out their bank account. They gave them Lisa cards. They gave them iPads. Man, they gave them all this stuff on their way out. Do you remember? Man, they spoiled, okay, not an iPad, maybe not a Visa card, but they spoiled them on the way out, right? And there they go. It was as if the Egyptians were like, here, just take it all and leave, right? Just please go. And man, they leave. And then Pharaoh, man, Pharaoh as a picture of you and me. Man, Pharaoh has a picture of us. Man, Pharaoh then says, well, why did I do this? Why did I let all these, why did I let all the help go? I mean, I'm going to run them down. They're lost. They're turned around in the wilderness, and I'm going to run them down. And man, Pharaoh runs them down, and there they are trapped on this side of the Red Sea. And here comes Pharaoh I'm, uh, barreling down the expressway, headed right toward him. And the children of Israel, in that moment, they exercised great faith, and they prayed out to God and saying, God, you have delivered. Is that what happened? And all the children of Israel in that moment did what the children of Israel do best. They grumbled. Well, why did you bring us out here? You, you brought us all this way just to kill us because there weren't enough graves in Egypt. This is just, there were, this is mass grave. That's all this is. You brought us all this way, Pharaoh, Moses, just so that you would let Pharaoh destroy us. God did the plagues. He did the signs. He did the frogs. He did the lice. He did the darkness. He did the water to blood. He did all of those things just to kill us at this, at this moment, right? And that grumbling comes up before the Lord. Moses, the Lord says to Moses, Moses, stand still. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which is a way of saying this. Don't do anything and watch what I'll do for you. Don't do anything and watch what I do for you. And remember, he parts the Red Sea. And it's this Charleston Heston moment where he stands. The water blows up. The hair blows back. The beard to the side. And he puts the stick in the water. The water parts. The children of Israel go across on the ground. Israelites, uh, the, the Egyptians try to chase them. Their, their chariots bogged down in the water. Man, God collapses the Red Sea on top of the Egyptians. The Egyptians are no more. They are no more. In fact, it says the Pharaoh and his armies were no more that day. And they stand on the other side. Now hear me. They stand on the other side of the Red Sea on their way to Canaan land, that promised land. They stand there and they sing a celebration song to God. Man, praise the God. Praise be to the God of the universe, the God who has saved us, the God of the Bible. Man, praise to him. He's our God. We want to serve him. And there they lived happily ever after. Is that how it happened? It's not how it happened. Man, there they stood, and that, that, that praise session went on for about a week, and then everybody started to get hungry. And then the children of Israel did what the children of Israel do best. Do you remember what that was? Man, they start grumbling, complaining. We're hungry. I mean, we don't have anything to eat, and neither do our cattle, which is a funny statement, right? We don't have anything to eat, and neither do, we, neither do our cattle. How about eat the cattle, and then we'll be okay, right? And they don't do that. They don't want to give up their steak, their prime rib. They don't want to let that go just yet. 
And man, what does God do? God rains down manna from the sky, bread from heaven. The Bible says it tasted like honey. Man, later on in the Psalms, it tastes however, whatever you wanted, whatever delicacy you enjoy the most, what, what, what soothes your appetite. Man, if you like prime rib, it tasted like prime rib to you. If you are, have, have a, more, um, uh, a more educated and well-balanced palate, it tasted just like a Pop-Tart blueberry flavor. I mean, it was just amazing, right? It was exactly what you needed it to be. It was all sufficient for you, right? Maybe it was pepperoni pizza. I don't know. Maybe there were anchovies on that pizza for you. I don't know what, I don't know what you like exactly, but it tasted exactly like that. Remember what, remember what, what did the children of Israel have to do for that? Did they have to go work? Do they have to get a job? Man, you got to get a job, pay the bills, bring in the groceries, make the money, right? They didn't do it. God just rained it down from heaven. And then the children of Israel, they started getting tired of bread. And then they did what they do best. They complained. You brought us all the way out here just to starve us. I mean, God's raining bread, sure. But that's not enough. We need meat. We need substance. And so God sends a flock of quail their way. He drops the quail from the heavens. The quail all the way up to their height, to the top of their knees, the Bible says. And there they collect quail, right? And then God moves them from there. And they go to the place of battle. Man, Rephidium, which is where uh, Michael spent time in Exodus chapter 16. Man, they're the place of battle. They go out to do battle. They, they surround Moses as they hold his hands up in the air and as long as Moses' arms were in the air they win and when Moses' arms were dropped they would begin to lose so Aaron and her stand on either side of Moses they hold his arms in the air so that they win the great battle God shows himself strong God shows himself mighty God shows himself as a provider God shows himself as their means of salvation God does all this for them and God has done all of this for them in a matter of months hear me God's done all of this for them in a matter of months I mean, you talk about moving fast. And then God moves them out to the wilderness of sin. The Bible talks about not sin as in how we understand it, but the wilderness that faced the Mount Sinai. And God is bringing them to this point in Exodus chapter number 19. Here's why I make a point of all this. What happens in Exodus chapter number 19 is so crucial for moving forward to the end of the book. But what happens in this chapter, it plays out over the course of 11 months. The children of Israel, you're going to read it in one chapter, but the children of Israel stay at this one place for an 11-month period. And from this 11-month period, we're given three books of the Bible. Follow me. From this 11-month period, we're given three books of the Bible. We're given the rest of the book of Exodus. We're given the book of Numbers. We're given most of the book of, of Deuteronomy, and then Leviticus repeats what is in Deuteronomy, but it's just kind of recycling it over. So you, you could really say four complete books, or, or four books in, in all, but three complete books are from this singular event right here. Do you remember how long the children of Israel were in the wilderness? Do you remember how long that was? Can, can you tell me how long were the children of Israel in the wilderness? Do you know? Just shout it out. 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness 40 years. Do you know how many events in that 40 years, do you know how many events we're told of that took place in 40 years? Like, like what was life like in those 40 years? Where, where did they eat? What did they do for fun? What were their hobbies? Where, where did they go sightseeing? Where did they take vacation? So, so 30 38, 40 years, they wander in the wilderness, and we don't know anything. 
All we get is they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? But on these 11 months, these 11 months, we're given three complete books of the Bible, and it's included in four books. So why is it that in just this, this 11-month period, why is it that God takes this microscope and he comes in so close to show us exactly what is happening at the bottom of this mountain? It, could it be that something very, very important is happening here? Could, could it be that God says, I don't really want you to know about where they camped at. I don't really want you to know about where they went sightseeing. I don't want you to know what their hobbies in the wilderness were. That's not important to, to, to the story. What's important to the story is what happened at the bottom of this mountain. The Bible commentators would tell you that Exodus chapter 19 is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. You, you, now you and I, what we would say is, uh, that, that can't be right. <laughs> Exodus 19 can't be the important chapter because we know what happens in Exodus 20. Did, can anybody tell me what's so important about Exodus chapter 20? Do you know what happens in Exodus 20? Something very important happens. What are we given in Exodus chapter 20? Shout it out. All the Ten Commandments. And we would say, whoa, whoa. Exodus 20, pastor, you got it wrong. Exodus 20 is the most important chapter. I mean, you're given the Ten Commandments, which even till today, civilized governments put their governments in place based around the Ten Commandments given to us in Exodus chapter 20. But, but watch this. Watch what happens in Exodus chapter number 19. Man, the, the precursor to all of those things, God teaching us something very important about our relationship with him. And here's the whole point this evening. I got three points. You have your outlines? I have three points. I tell Michael, if I get done with one, it'll be a miracle, okay? So, so you might have to come back next week to get the rest of it. You know, here it is. Here's what God is teaching his, his, his children. Here's what God, by teaching them, is teaching us. Relationships have responsibilities. Relationships have responsibilities. I don't know if that's in your notes or not, but if it is not in your notes, I want you to write it down because this is, this is where we're going. Relationships have responsibilities. Amanda and I, we were high school sweethearts. I decided that I wanted to marry her. I took her out to this restaurant that sat on the Ohio River and it overlooked the city of Louisville. We went there in the middle of October, maybe late October. We had a nice dinner. I asked her if she wanted to walk outside and stand on the patio and overlook the river. She said, no, it's chilly. I said, don't you want to walk outside and stand on the platform and overlook the river? She goes, I really don't. It's kind of chilly. I said, no, you want to walk outside and stand on the platform and overlook the river? So she said, okay, fine, I guess if you make me, right? So we, we went outside. We, we're on the deck. We're overlooking the river. The city is beautiful and bright and, man, beautiful sounds and nice lights. And I get down on my knee, I reach into my pocket, and with a sweaty, shaky hand, I pull out this little box. And this little, trust me, I pull out this little box, right? I was a college student. It was small. So I pull out this little box, and I grab her hand, and I sing her a song that I wrote her. You want to hear the song? You're never going to hear it. Sorry. 
I sang that song one time, I'll never sing it again, right? Or you've probably heard it, you've probably heard of a guy named Justin Bieber, he takes all my material, no, no, I'm just either. And I, I take her by the hand, I grab this ring, and I say, Amanda Marie Epperson, or will you please marry me? She goes, <gasps> and I'm like this, is that a yes? I'm not, I mean, I need to know. I kind of went out on a limb here. I, I wasn't really for sure. Maybe it's too early. But I'm, you know, is that a yes or is that a no? I, everybody's watching, okay? So I take my ring and she says, yes, of course. I slide the ring onto her finger. I said, I'm so glad you decided to marry me. Thank you. Hey, now, here's, here's what I'd really like. I want you to be my, my wife and I want to be your husband. I want to be there for you. I want to provide for you. I want to take care of you. Man, I, I want to fulfill all your dreams for you. I want to make you happy and joy-filled. And I want to do that on Monday through Friday. But I'm going to need Saturday and Sunday as my own thing. How many of you know if I would have said that, we would not be having this conversation right now, right? It would, have been, it would have been a black eye, the people's elbow, right down on top of me at that moment, right? No, I said, I, I, I give everything to you. I, I want to have a relationship with you, and not just any relationship. I don't want to just be friends. And I want to be your husband. I want you to be my wife, and I give you all of me. And she goes, oh, David, I give you all of myself. And, it was a, and then we fast forward, June 9th. Man, there, I'm standing on the platform, nice tuxedo, some nice white and black tux, tuxedo shoes. Yes, white and black. They were dual color. And there I stand. Man, and the music kicks up in the back, and here comes the bride. Or maybe it was Taps. I can't remember which one it was. But man, the door opens, she comes walking in from the back, and I just watch, I'm like, oh, this is the moment, this is, she's beautiful, she's radiating, I didn't see anybody else, I didn't hear anybody else, the preacher was talking, but nobody even cared what he said, I mean, here she comes, and we stand, we exchange wedding bands, we say vows, and listen, man, for better, for worse, for sickness, for health, for richer, for poorer, it's been a lot more poorer than richer, but for richer, for poorer, right? And then we exchange our vows, and listen, for richer, for poorer, and Monday through Friday only, because you know I gotta have Saturday and Sunday myself. How many of you know if I would have said that in the vows, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now? Why? Because relationships relationships require responsibilities relationships require responsibilities okay that's the build-up that's the introduction okay I told you you're gonna get all through three points tonight Exodus chapter 19 arthritis is already setting in so I'm gonna let you sit this out as we read okay but we're gonna go verse number one down to verse number six Verse number one, verse six. And in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, in the same day they were, uh, they in the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, for they departed from Rephidim, 
and were coming to the desert of Sinai, and they had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, that ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. So now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then shall ye be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Every relationship has responsibility. Every relationship has responsibility. You read the rest of this chapter, which I encourage you to do for homework before next week, but if you read the rest of this chapter, God tells Moses, bring all the children of Israel to the mountain, and you make them stand around the mountain, but be sure no one touches the mountain. Be sure no one comes near the mountain. Build a barrier around the mountain, and make sure that no mom, no dad, no boys, no girls, no animals, that they come near the mountain because I'm coming down and I'm going to visit the mountain. And if the ground that I am standing on, they also come and stand on, they will surely die. Well, why? Well, why is this true? Well, this is true because our God is a holy God. Because you can't just casually, nonchalant, walk into the presence of God. We needed a mediator. We needed provision. We needed a righteousness beyond ourselves, which, by the way, is given to you and to me in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus that he is our eternal priest, that he is the one who mediates this relationship between us and God. Why? Because God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. God is just. And we are not. We are not perfect, and we are not holy, and we are not righteous. And the same was true for the children of Israel. And so in this moment, God draws this line around the mountain, the Mount Sinai, and he visits it. And there's thundering, and there's lightning, and there's, but just read the story. If you touch the mountain, you die. I mean, there's all this happening in this scene. It's a tremendous scene. And in it, God is teaching us three things. Number one, God is teaching us the importance of the law. Look again. Look again, verse number two. For there... They, or for they were departed uh, from Rephidim, and they came and were come to the desert of Sinai. And there they pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mountain. And number one, the importance of the law. When I say the importance of the law, there's probably something inside of you that says, what? Well, that, that can't be right. Well, that, the importance of the law, that, that can't be right. Because often we are suspicious, we're resentful toward the idea of a law, and especially toward the idea of a divine law. 
If somebody comes to us and they say, I'm running for president and I want to work with Congress because I believe we need more laws. I want to be a president who, who is the lawgiver and I want more laws to be established in our land. If, if somebody were to say, we need more laws and I want to be the guy that makes and enforces more laws, we probably think, well, I mean, that's good for everybody else. Because all these people around me are really bad. They need law. But I don't really need that law because I'm a pretty good person on my own. And we're just kind of naturally resentful toward any idea that there's going to be now this law imposed on us. But, but that's not because the law is bad. Right? That's because you and I are bad. It's not because there's a problem with the law. It's because you and I have a problem in submitting ourselves to anyone, hear me, to anyone other than ourselves. We sang yesterday morning at the, uh, at the soul winning hour, we sang Blessed Assurance. Remember that song? That's a great song. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Man, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Blessed Assurance. Man, what's that song talking about? It's talking about knowing for certain of the relationship that I have with God and how assured I am in that relationship, how confident I am in that relationship. But so many times we miss the second verse and the third verse. The first verse, blessed assurance. That's how it begins. The second verse, you know what the second verse is? Perfect submission. All is at rest. I am my Savior and happy and blessed. And we go, yeah, perfect submission. No, 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 I don't want that. But I certainly want that blessedness. I, I certainly want that assurance. I certainly want that confidence. But I don't want that submission. Do you know how the third verse starts? Perfect submission. The blessed assurance and perfect submission always go hand in hand. It always works together. That when we are submitting ourselves to God's word, when we're yielding ourselves to God's spirit, when we're being obedient to God as he reveals his word to us, then we are filled with confidence about the relationship that we have with him. It's the same is true here. The importance of the law for two reasons. The importance of the law first, because God is showing them a way of life. The law in the Bible was never meant to be a ladder of merit to somehow earn extra favor with God. No, Paul says the law was a schoolmaster. It was a tutor. It was a teacher. And what the law's job was, was to show us first that we could not fulfill the law but second, to show us that there would come a day that there would be one who did fulfill the law in everything. That he, would, that he, that he dotted all the I's and he crossed all the T's and he fulfilled the law through and through and he broke the law in no way. And that one was the person named the Lord Jesus Christ. The law was a schoolmaster, was a teacher to show us what? To teach us what? To teach us our need for something other than ourselves in order to gain favor with God. But also, a, the law was a teacher, a, 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 a teacher, um, what was the word? A schoolmaster, a tutor, in order to do what? In order to bring us to Christ. To bring us to Christ. 
So when I say the importance of the law, albeit we all kind of reject that. That law doesn't apply to me. Those rules don't matter for me. I am the one exemption from all the rules necessary. Everyone thinks that they're the, they're the exception. I am the one exception. Laws are good for everyone except me. But the law was not given as a way to earn salvation. The law was given as a way, as a way of life for the children of Israel. The Mosaic law, the law as revealed in the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is not and does not say, if you keep the Ten Commandments perfect, then I will give you eternal life. That is not what it says. That is nowhere in the Bible. Salvation from God has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation has always been by grace, through faith, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this, is the, this, this chapter is the entire idea of this. Because here's what he's saying. They're already his people. They're already brought out. He's already delivered them. He's already provided for them. He's already destroyed Pharaoh on their behalf. He's already rained manna down from heaven. He's already dropped quail up to their knees. He's, all, he's already delivered the plagues. Right? So, so there's nowhere in here where he's saying, do you want out of Egypt? You, you want away from sin? You want away from slavery? You want away from bondage? Do you want that? Okay, then keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. And if you keep them perfectly, I'm going to come back and check on you. And don't forget, I've got a list, and I'm checking it twice. And I'm going to find out who's naughty or nice. No, that's the other guy. That's not God. That's not what he does. That's not what he says. The law was meant. He saved them. He delivered them. He provided for them. He made a way of escape for them. They crossed the Red Sea. He did all of this. And then, catch it, then he leads them to Mount Sinai. Why? Because he's teaching them a new way of life. You must remember that the children of Israel had been nothing but slaves for generations. This is all they are. For 400 years, they're nothing but slaves. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to function. They don't know how to do things that are right. They've always just been told what to do. Someone else making the decision for them. So now God comes along and God says, this is what my people look like. This is, this is what my people do. These are the habits. These are the customs. These are the laws. These are the, 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 dietary, uh, um, uh, the dietary laws, the, 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 the national customs. These are what they do. These are, this is the way it looks. You think about it in regards, you think about it in regards to the stops along their destination. The Red Sea pictures salvation. Amara, that place of bitterness. Man, where, where, where the water was bitter. And then he throws the stick in, and then the water turns sweet. And Mara was a place of testing. And then Elam, man, that place of palm trees and springs and rivers, man, that was a place of rest. And the wilderness of sin was a place of provision where the manna and the quail came down. Man, the place of Massa was a place of warning. 
been the place of Rephidim where, where we've spent the last three or four weeks talking about them in that place of battle. And now here we come to Sinai, which proves to be a place of covenant where God says to his people, relationships have responsibilities. You belong to me. I am your God. I have delivered you. I have brought you out. But this is not a Monday through Friday relationship. This is a 24-7 relationship. This is not just serve me when it's beneficial for you. It's serve me with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength and have no other gods before me. It's a new way of life he's showing them. You have to admit that some of the law is just things we take for granted. Ways in which they kept themselves clean. Just sanitary issues. Ways in which they were to dispose of dead corpses or bodies. Ways of which they were foods that they should stay away from for certain reasons or seasons. Because they didn't, they didn't police. The, 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 um, the, the, the FDA was not in existence in their day, right? So you weren't for sure what was happening to the cattle that you were buying and you were about to eat. So God is, God is giving them this, this pattern and he's saying, you are my people, you belong to me. And there is a certain way of living that I have for you. There is a new way of life that you must learn to, to, uh, to put into practice. And listen, and when you do, you will be blessed. And when you don't, there will always be a curse. In fact, when they get into the promised land, remember what happens when they get into the promised land? Joshua splits them on either side. He says, stand on this mountain, half of you. Stand on that mountain, half of you. And then you're going to say the blesseds and you're going to say the curses. And they go, blessed are we if we do what God says. Cursed are we if we don't do what God says. Blessed are we if we obey the Lord. Cursed are we if we don't obey the Lord. Blessed are we if we pursue God. Cursed are we if we don't pursue God. Right? And then back and forth they go. Echoing. Talk about a sermon illustration. As a way of showing them what? As a way of showing them that there is a new way of life that they should now live. But the old man is dead. The old man is dead. So now put on the new man and walk in him. You see this all the way throughout the Bible. So there's a new way of life. Number two, there is the word that they come to love. And hear, hear, hear me on this. Look at verse three. So Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, Thus shalt thou say, so he gives Moses a word to say. Here's the word. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings, I brought you to myself. You are my people. I already did this. Look at verse number 5. Now therefore, in the Bible, there is always a therefore. Romans chapter 12. Remember Romans chapter 12? The entire book of Romans is about salvation by grace through faith. It's the entire book of Romans. About how God redeems us, saves us from ourselves. And then you get to Romans chapter 12, right? Now I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Why? Because this is your reasonable service. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. In the Bible, there's always a therefore. There's always a response to God's delivering, saving grace in our lives. 
that when we see God's delivering, saving grace, there should always be a response that, wow, God saved me. Man, God delivered me. God bought me. God redeemed me. God brought me to himself. He bore me on eagle's wings. He did all the work through his son, the Lord Jesus. Wow! Man, now I want to live for him. And now I want to obey him. And now I want to serve him. And now I want to know what his word has for me. And this is the children of Israel. So Moses gets the word from God. Look at verse number 6. And these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. If those who God redeems always come under his word. This is Psalms 119. Psalms 119, the longest chapter of the Bible. The longest chapter of Psalms. And in every verse of Psalms 119, you will find a reference to God's word. It's either his word, or it's his judgments, or it's his statutes, or it's his commandments. It's always used in line with the word of God. And what does David say about the word of God? Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. But that's a weird thought. What is it that David loves? What, what, what is his meditation all the day? Uh, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. What a strange thought for most people in today's world. That we would love the law of God. The word of God. The very word of God for what our lives should look like. And we're going to see that God is very serious about the law. In fact, everything from this point in Exodus forward is about how serious God is about His law. And about how through a process of events, God always brings those who He redeems. He always brings under His law. He always brings under His Word. Why? Because He knows best on how our lives should go. So when we rebel against that God. God says, here's how your life should go. And we rebel against that God. Then it is no loving parent who lets their children casually play in the middle of the 710. And no one goes, well, we just, we don't say no in our house. We just politely let our children do whatever they want. I know, we can tell. No, no, no. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Why? Because he knows best on how their life should go. All you boys and girls, look right here. Listen, look right here. There is someone who knows better than you on how your life should go. I mean, I get it, you're seven. But you do not know best on how your life should go. And God has given you godly parents and godly authority figures and godly influences and a grandma and grandpa and moms and dads and Sunday school teachers and pastors and preachers and deacons who love you and they know there are some things that are just bad for you. Well, I, I think experience is the best teacher. 
Well, you're going to have a lot of hurts and bumps and bruises and scars along the way that are unnecessary. If you just learn to listen to someone who knows better than you. Well, I want to play with the electrical outlet. That's going to, that's going to zap you. I don't think it'll zap me. I think it's going to zap me. I don't think it'll zap right? Hey, it zapped me. <laughs> Go figure. And now hear me, moms and dads. We can, we can silly laugh our way about our kids. Like, hey, you should listen right now. Pastor's, pastor's preaching good right now. And we can do that with our children, or we can turn that light in our own hearts, and we can say, God knows better than me on how my life should go. And God knows better than me on how I should use my money. And God knows better than me on how I should treat my neighbor. And God knows better than me on what I should do with my children. And God knows better than me on what I should do with my sexuality. And God knows better than me. And just like I know better than them, God knows better than me. And the difference between what you know more than your five-year-old, God knows infinitely more than you. And so you think you're smarter than your five-year-old. That's debatable. But it's certainly true. God is infinitely smarter than you and me. And we're better off when we obey God's word. And whom the Lord loves... He chases. So those who do rightfully belong to him, yeah, they run maybe for a little while, but God always brings those he loves back in. And sometimes the way he brings them in is through a disciplining hand in their life. We, we live in a time where you can go to church once a year, have no relationship with Jesus, never spend time with God's Word, and then self-define as a Christian, and everybody thinks you are one. Well, on my status update, I put Christian. So I must be a Christian. And in gentleness and in love, I tell you this evening, if you have no intention and no desire to go under or to go after God to go after the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring yourself under the Word of God and be obedient, then you should not assume that you have a relationship. Why? Because relationships have responsibilities. It's no different than assuming that I can be married to Amanda Monday through Friday, but do my own thing on Saturday and Sunday. It's no different. Now, here's what I did not say. What I did not say is I did not say that you would be perfect, completely awesome, and never do anything that you regret. Because I know you're not that, and you know I'm not that. Now, none of us do everything we should all the time. But is there a sting of conviction when we respond in a way that we know we shouldn't? Is there a sting of rebuke in our heart that goes, ah, that was not the way Christ would have handled that situation. And Lord, I know I need to do better in that area. So God, give me more patience and give me more love and give me more. Is there a sting of, of conviction when that happens? The law is given to the people of God to show the people of God what a life of pleasing God would look like.
You and I should be able to look back on our lives over decades and see God's slow, transformative, sanctifying work in our lives. Right? So here we are 20 years later, and we look back and we go, wow, the person that I used to be, I don't even recognize anymore. And if you knew the stuff I used to do, you probably would not sit next to me in church. Right? We should be able to look back on our lives and see that sort of transformative, sanctifying, spirit-done, word-used work in our lives, causing us to be made into the image of the Son of God. When God gives His law, he, He's reminding His people of what it's like to live before Him. And He's saying, remember, I brought you out of slavery. Remember, I delivered you from Pharaoh. And this is a group of people who knew nothing of what it meant to live lives that pleased a holy, righteous God. So, in order to help them understand the responsibility of this relationship, God brings them to Sinai, and he says, this is important. I told you one point, so one point it is. But it's a very important point, isn't it? Relationships have responsibilities. That is not just true vertically, or, or that is not just true horizontally, that is also true vertically. And we should desire to live lives that are pleasing and honoring to God, our Savior. Let's bow for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And Father, we thank you for your word. And truly, Father, we desire to say, oh, how I love thy law. Oh, that it would be our meditation all the day. And oh, that we might have that blessed assurance which can only come through perfect submission. Now, one of the reasons why we feel so uneasy, and one of the reasons why we feel so upset, and one of the reasons why we're always wondering and questioning, man, does God and is God, is he happy with me, is he not, is he pleased with me, is he... One of those reasons is because we do not submit ourselves to the Word of God. So, Father, I pray that you would give us the understanding, the wisdom to know and to do according to thy good pleasure. God, to know and to do according to thy good pleasure.